This is the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast, where we cover books, beverages, and the general BS of the day. A few disclaimers, we are not literary experts, or experts in anything for that matter, and explicit content should be expected. I am your host, Barry Price. I hope you enjoy the show. Recording. Good morning, fellas. Morning. Morning. Giardia. <laughs> there it is. Beaver fever. <laughs> John, what are you drinking? Topo Chico. I'm not drinking. I'm going to go kayaking later and I don't want to drown. Good. Good decision making. Jared? I'm drinking some uh, Rebel Yell and coffee. There you I too go. am going kayaking, but not till later. <laughs> you got time to got time to dry out before you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just drinking coffee. It's an early early on a Sunday morning. Not real early, but yeah, too you early need to be drinking. <laughs> on like Jared, uh, like to honor the Lord on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> not participate in heathen activities. Right. Well, and Jared's drinking that Devil Confederate whiskey, no less, yeah. too. But oh, I can change it real quick. We got <laughs> a little bit of Evan Williams left. I thought of a name for the Topo and Tito's and Lime, the Devil's What's Concoction. The de- <laughs> <laughs> the Sneaky Devils. The, the Sneaky uh, Devils. <laughs> We've got a lot to cover, so let's just hop right into it. want to cover a few things from the last episode, as we always do. Uh, the last episode being our cabin session. If you haven't I miss it. To go listen. Yeah, me too. Miss the cabin. Uh, one of those things is nobody knew Billy the Kid's real name, uh, and his real name is Henry McCarty. So clear the air on that. And then uh, another thing in episode 10, we were joking about what Jared was going to eat at the cabin while we were having ribeyes. And we thought it would be a cauliflower steak. What did you end up actually having, Jared? I think uh, it was just a big old portobello mushroom cap, two of them. Yep. He stayed true. And it was tasty. It wasn't that hard. It wasn't that hard. But those ribeyes smelled good. They were good. And then uh, just one last thing on Billy the Kid, too. I discovered a Billy the Kid trail around Rio Dosa, New Mexico. It's a mountain backpack, bike packing trail. It's about 100 miles. I'm doing some due diligence on it, but I'm going to try to make least a leg of it happened sometime, somewhere, somehow. Is it easy to piece together? Like if you were to do a, not a through hike, but a, what's the proper term for that, John? Section hike. Section hike, yep. I don't know. It's a loop trail. Oh, but, uh, the problem is about, about 20 to 25% of it is on either privately owned land or uh reservation land so 
we'll see. Uh, anyways, you guys got some books this week. Uh, some of it's single path, uh, single track trail. Some of it is, uh, like forest highway road. Uh, it's just kind of, kind of pieced together from what I can tell. Okay. I'm going to look into it. I know somebody who did it, uh, maybe a future guest of this podcast. We'll see though. What books do y'all have? I have Fire Season by who? Philip Connors. Fire Season by Philip Connors. Jared, what do you have? Uh, well, I finished up uh, anything for Billy. I know last time we were talking about it, but uh, yeah. I finished that up on the way home from New Mexico, and then I picked up uh, Stephen King, uh, The Outsider. And you got it wrapped up, too? Got it wrapped up. It is definitely Stephen King season. Yep. Start picking him up again. Yeah, I need to. I want to read. I'm curious to hear about The Outsider because I've had it on my list. So I have got Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. So, John, why don't you get us started? Okay. Like I said, I read Fire Season, Field Notes from a Wilderness Lookout by Philip Connors. I read that on our trip to the cabin. I read it to the cabin, at the cabin. I think I finished it at the cabin. And then, so the general gist is that this guy goes every season and sits in a wilderness lookout in the Gila wilderness, looking for fires from May to August every year, maybe even April to August. And he is the only one out there. He hardly has any contact with anybody else in the world. And he just sits out there and sits in his tower and reads and looks for smoke. Uh, he did. Nice. Yeah, I would do it. Um, the, the general structure of the book is that he kind of tells about the history of wilderness areas in America and public lands and fires within them and kind of the, the science behind forest fires and, the strategies that they take to make control the fires, such as they, if there's a fire and it's discovered to be man-made, they 100% of the time will fight it. If it's a lightning strike and it's not going to um, threaten any buildings, they may not fight it. Oh, really? Just let yeah. it burn out. Is yeah. that, uh, is that unique to where they were at or is that common practice everywhere? I think that's the common practice. However, it has not always been the practice. It used to be if you saw smoke, you put it out. Yeah. But that led to a lot of, um, they call it fuel, being built up over the years on the forest floor. So these fires will just ignite, and then they'll be burn a lot hotter and be more destructive than they usually are, as opposed to more of a controlled burn, just clearing the underbrush. And also a lot of the, the you know, there's a lot of trees that have adapted with, with fire throughout the, the millions of years. So they need fire to, to reproduce. Yeah. They, the cones will open up when they get hot and actually spit their, uh, their offspring out. Golly, I'm getting learned up today. Well, I had always known that fires are a natural part of, of, uh, 
you know, a forest life cycle, you know, it's something that needs to happen eventually regardless. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, California burns every year. So does a lot of New Mexico and Colorado and Utah. So Yeah. And the problem with those two is that especially California, they're, you're threatening structures almost anywhere you go and yeah, they don't let them burn. So they, they just burn hotter and hotter every year. And they they have a lot of uh, sagebrush land out there too. And the, but there's there's also some invasive plants that have caused these areas to uh, to burn more frequently. Like cheatgrass introduction introduction of cheatgrass, they can burn like every year. But the sagebrush can't recover every year. So that's 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 a, might be an example of a you know too frequent burning. Anyway, sorry to go off on that. Oh, no, no problem. You're the, you're the wildlife biologist. <laughs> Just an interesting tidbit. And so this – I really um, got into reading this book. He talks a lot about authors that I really like. Um, I'm using his sources as a – reading list going forward for a little bit. He's got authors like Ed Abbey, who was also a wilderness lookout. Um, he talks about that in Black Sun. Um, uh, everyone's favorite, Leo, um, Aldo Leopold. Yeah. Jack Kerouac, who was also a wilderness outlook, and he writes about that in Desolation Angels. One of my favorite bands also has a song named Desolation Angels, so I'm excited to read that and compare it to the song, Reckless Kelly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he also mentions Norman McLean, who wrote A River Runs Through It. And I am currently reading his book, Young Men in the Fire, which is about a fire in Montana in 1949. Um, there's uh, several other, it, that I go through the general structure of the book. Yeah. And then he talks about his, I think this was mostly from one season of his, uh, being an outlook. So he, half the chapters history of things. And then the other half is kind of what he was dealing with as an outlook through that one particular season and the specific fires he called in. And it was interesting to learn the procedures. Like if you, spot a fire in someone else's district you get to call it in but they get to name it and they'll name it by where it originates from so if it originates on the savannah river they might name it the savannah fire and then later in the season if another one happens on the savannah river they'll call it the river fire and they'll do things like triangulate with the other towers to try and uh, get an accurate position on the fire to call it in and they'll deal with smoke jumpers and everything else to try and get them into the right spot. But I would definitely recommend this book to anybody who wants to read it. One of my favorite quotes from it is uh, no paradise is whole without the president, the presence of a serpent. So kind of a biblical reference. That's there. True. Yeah. 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 Um, it was a pretty short book. I read it on the plane, so four hours and 
uh, at the cabin some, I think it took me two nights, so probably six hours total to read it. It's 261 pages on listed on Amazon on its paperback. Yeah. Uh, it's $8 on Kindle, $12 on paperback from Amazon. There you go. Any one-star reviews? Yes. Uh, this actually has a four-star, four-and-a-half-star rating from Amazon based off 230 ratings. But my two favorite one-stars were this book is a pimple on the anus of literature. <laughs> That's a good one. The author is Pampas. I don't, is that a word, Pampas? I know Pompous, but yeah, this is Pampas. Pompous, yeah. <laughs> Writing about himself as if chronicling his life of, is of value. Boring, always hoping for something interesting. He forgot that there should be something interesting in a book as he is not. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then and the other one is the reviews of this book compare Connors to his predecessors like Ed Abbey. Connors is dull, listless, and does not weave a story well. I had a had to force myself to finish it, hoping there would be some spot that would be engaging. The only thing Connors has in common with Abbey is their time in a fire, fire tower. As a writer, on, Connors couldn't change Abbey's typewriter ribbon. <laughs> Man, people are vicious. Uh, yeah. I mean, I could see how someone doesn't find reading about wildfires interesting, but I definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. You got to kind of, I think even just sitting in the tower for a long time, you know, would be fun. I was thinking out here where my parents live, there's a gate guard, you know, they work eight hour shifts. So I'm like, man, I would just sit in there and read all day. You really don't have anything else to do that I know of. Yeah. Well, he took this job. He, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask how long their their stays were up up there. They're five months long, typically. Sometimes the fire season ends earlier in New Mexico, and they'll move off to California. Or the the firefighters will, but not him. Um, he would do ten day shifts, and then have two days off or four days off something like that, and a, a replacement would come in and stay for those four days. But he was pretty interesting, too. He left his job as a writer in New York for big publications to come and do this, and that he just fell in love with New Mexico, and he stayed there. Did, also, uh, oh, do they stay in the fire tower? Yeah. Well, no, they stay in a cabin at the base of the fire tower. And he says, really, he just goes up once an hour and scans for smoke and oh really spends the rest of the time in the cabin yeah or cutting firewood if you if you have to prepare for your next year too you have to start uh cutting trees down and letting the wood dry out oh yeah nice man i think that'd be pretty fun yeah better being a a banker (laughs) definitely (laughs) (laughs) probably make a little less money working for the forest service (laughs) Um, he uh, he's also written two other books. One's called uh, "All the Wrong Places: A Life Lost and Found," and it's about finding himself after his brother's suicide. And he briefly touches on that in this book, and that was published in 2015. And then "A Song for the River," which I believe is about a fire in the Gila that changed a bunch of stuff. It sounds pretty recent. I didn't do a whole lot of research into that beyond that. I definitely What's the name of that one again? That to read. The, the last song, one? Song of the River? A Song for the River. 
Okay. So. We got to get over to the Gila. I've been wanting to go, but. I, I definitely have too. I've got some topo files on my computer. Logistically, it's very difficult for me. So, Jared, let's hear about yours. Yeah, so I, I I finished anything for Billy on the way on the uh, the way back from New Mexico. Uh, pretty pretty entertaining read. I, I I've kind of forgotten what I mentioned about it in the uh, in the cabin sessions, but it basically it's narrated by a, uh, a guy named Ben Sippy who is from Philadelphia uh, and is a dime novelist who moved out west to kind of. Uh, find inspiration for a new a new some new novels uh and eventually runs into uh billy the kid on on a trail which you barry when you mentioned that earlier i'm wondering if if mcmurtry's referencing that trail in particular but but yeah so he travels around with with the Billy Kid and all these other outlaws and and uh they kind of take him in. Uh it's it's an entertaining read, a pretty quick read. Uh definitely it's it's not McMurtry's best work. It's not Lonesome Dove. Yeah. Uh but uh <laughs> but uh overall I, I mean it's pretty good. Um very very fictional, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh there there's a lot of one star reviews on this book. <laughs> oh hell yeah, let's hear it. Uh, uh okay, if you don't have anything else to read. It's been quite a while since I've read this, but as I recall, it was not anything to jump up and down about. <sighs> there's a very cool ear pulling scene though which that sounds pretty brutal. <laughs> Is that in the review? Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. But why is the title? This book is written in a breathless late 19th century dime novel style that still manages to be dull. The plot is full of exciting incidents that don't hold your attention. Wait a second. If it's exciting, it got it got your right. How did it not get your attention? Yeah, the characters are color are a colorful cast of centrics that you can't care about them. I don't know. I thought I thought they're pretty well painted by McMurtry, but yeah, if you're if you're flying, you need something that doesn't take a lot of attention. I would recommend anything for Billy. Or not? You could you could get you could go either way. <laughs> I'm reading it. I'll probably is it going to a lot of the day. history of? Is it going to a lot of the history of Billy? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of picks up like with him one day, and yeah, it kind of goes through. I don't know how much of this is true. It's it's he talks about how he got his his uh his reputation as being a, a ruthless killer he it, he kind of paints billy the kid as as someone 
who just did things without reason. Like he would just pop, he would pop someone just because, (laughs) and that's how he kind of got his reputation. Uh, But anyway, he finds himself dead at the end of the book. But you you were kind of figuring that was going to happen. There were a bunch of people chasing him at one time. Yeah, well, you know how what happens. So yeah, since he's a historical figure, what about uh, the outsider? The outsider, man, dude. This your first your first dive into Stephen King, right? This is my first Stephen King book, and it is not going to be my last. I don't know why I haven't. I've been so hesitant on reading Stephen King. We've been when telling you. I know when when I originally went into the the bookstore at the airport, uh, I was originally looking for uh, Elevation, and I was going to get that just because it was a short book. They didn't have it, but they had a ton of these outside books. Uh, so I was like, man, why not? I'm just going to get it. Is that a new I book? A, it's pretty new. Yeah, it's pretty new. I mean, it's an HBO show uh, yeah. right now. I've never seen the show. I've never seen the show. But, but man, I had an hour in the airport and like a two and a half hour flight home. That The, the flight home flew by, dude. No, no pun intended. But it was... I, I barely remember anything that happened during the flight just because I was so You're into the whole time. Uh, yeah. So I was into the book and there, there's times on planes where I got to take a break and kind of look around, but dude, it, 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 it held my attention the entire time. But anyway, so the book is about, it takes place in a fictional city called Flint city, Oklahoma. Uh, it's about a, a crime that happened there. Some kid was, was killed there. I'm not going to go on the details on it. Coach, uh, like a Pony League baseball coach or uh, Little League baseball coach, uh, a teacher, you know, the people in the town love him. And all evidence points towards him as the killer murder of this kid so the lead investigator of this uh ralph anderson uh detective he his son was coached by terry so he wanted a big public arrest so they they arrested him at one of the little league games it gets out of hand and all of this stuff anyway it 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 uh it turns out it was not well, – whoa! I don't want to give it away. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so good, dude. It's so good. But he really – just the, the detail he puts into this book. I'm like, I don't know if he does it in every book, but I'm like, good Lord. Like it's, it's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, he puts a lot of detail, and it's not worthless detail either. No, it's right. not. It's not, not page filler. Yeah, yeah. Um, very, very enjoyable read. Pretty gruesome, which I imagine that's the way a lot of his books are. Yep, there, sure. there were times I was like, 
how does a dude even think like this? But, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, well, you got a, something I learned with Stephen King. Cause I went on a bender where I read like six books of his in a row is all I was reading for about six months. And I was like getting even dark with myself. I'm like, I need to read something <laughs> else for a little bit. So, well, glad, glad you liked it. You know, maybe you'll, uh, Maybe you'll heed our book recommendations a little bit closer. Oh, come on. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I just didn't know about Steve. I didn't know if I'd like it or not. But, it, I mean, it, it was – I mean, there were parts in the book where I was, like, trying to hide what I was reading because <laughs> I it was so – yeah, like, That's funny. Well, I definitely what? understand your hesitation to read Stephen King because I've kind of put him in those mass-producing – authors category like clive cussler and um who's james patterson yeah those guys that just shit books out i'm sure they're quality books but it's not something i want to read i want something that's researched and put a lot of thought into but he's just got a gift man yeah a gift is a good way of putting it and, uh, you know, he doesn't shit them out. You know, James Patterson seems like he has a new book every time I go to Barnes and Noble, uh-huh. you know, but Stephen King seems like he does about one a year, you know, which is probably about right. You know, if you're writing a thousand words a day or something. So especially for a fiction book to something. Um, right. You, you're not having to like, it's not a research book. So it's something you can just put together in your head. Well, he's so good at it too, you know. It's he's probably honed down his method and everything too to where it helps quite a bit. You guys ought to read his memoir. I'm definitely wanting to now. It's called On Writing for those of you who don't know. Oh yes. Half half of the book is a memoir and half of it uh, is kind of his writing method, which is interesting. I felt like it made me a better writer, even just in day-to-day communications, like emails and things. And then uh, he also has his favorite books list in there, too. So find you some other reading to entertain. What uh, What's going to be your next dabble, Jared and Stephen King? I don't know. So he he ties some of the book in with with a, a past uh, private investigator uh, company, and the the series I, I saw is uh, Mister Mercedes. Does oh, that yeah. ring a bell? So yeah. as part of as part of that series, uh, basically they come in to do some private investigating. Is that the <laughs> about like the end of watch? Book. Oh, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question, though. Um, any one-star reviews? I'm going to be honest. I haven't looked, but I hear John typing. I'm looking up something else. <laughs> oh, but I can't. No, no, let's see. I, I, I saw some, but there there weren't too many. And as someone who's new to Stephen King, I thought it was great. I, I don't know how to compare it to his other right. that's, other books. So that's I a lot of the that's a lot of the negative reviews I see on Stephen King books nowadays. It's like not as good as his old stuff. 
you know, but he's changing like the rest of us. Yeah, one start, one one review is too many plot holes. Said they couldn't finish the book. They had some plot holes and some political stuff, uh, which it is a little political. I mean, it's a newer book, so there were some Trump references in here. Oh, really? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> it actually says Trump? Yes, several wow. times. <laughs> Probably Trump killed the boy. Let's see here. I mean, there was some stuff that, like, I guess Lefty Hang that you thought he was going to tie into the book later, uh, but he never did. Yeah. Well, sometimes I think that kind of stuff keeps you engaged a little bit. Yeah. You're like, man, what? Like, what the hell is that supposed to be? <laughs> right. <laughs> what, what is that going to pop up again? But uh, I, I can't find it. Uh, a generic horror no- novel. That should be avoided. Uh, dull stuff from X Master. I don't. I don't know. What were you got, John? That is part of the, or it's that trilogy we were talking about. The Mister Mercedes trilogy is called the Bill Hodges trilogy. Yes, and it that's has Mister Mercedes, Finders Keepers, and End of Watch. Okay. Okay. Jared's taking notes. Bill on Hodges series. Pad, pad and paper. Yeah, man. Old school, baby. We'll talk more about I, that in later. I think I'm going to read. I think I'm going to. I don't know if that's the direction I should go, is reading that stuff. People have also been telling me misery. Y'all have told me misery before. Yeah. And misery the, and the shining. And the stand. I see that in all his reviews that I'm like, good Lord, I, I can't, I'm holding a book that's 1200 pages. I don't know when I'm going to yeah. finish this. Well, I spent the first five episodes of this podcast trying to read through the stand and finally put it down. <laughs> There's no way I'd be able to finish it before the next show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> next recording. I was reading 11, 63 for a while. And when I was, putting my library together the other day i picked it up and my bookmark was on page 485 i'm like golly i can't believe i got so, so far into this and didn't finish it so i just watched the tv show instead i've started blood meridian about 17 times so <laughs> you'll get through it one day it'll hit just right one time yeah. I'm going to go stay in a cabin by myself for a week, and that's all I'm going to do right. until I finish it. Take only that book and nothing yeah. else. <laughs> so you can't be distracted. That's about how you have to read that book to be able to keep track of what's happening. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, well, I read Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. Uh, it's the fourth book of his that i've read the other three being uh dead man's walk and comanche moon and then last kind words saloon uh i would venture to say lonesome dove may be the best book i've ever read it uh and we'll get into it a little bit there's really it's not like just crazy action packed 
but the characters are so the these characters are I don't I hate to say lovable, you know, but uh you really just get wrapped up get wrapped up in them. You get attached. Yeah, you really do. Gus McCray is probably the best character that's ever been dreamed up, I would say. Uh, and something I, in the way the book is written, there's about, there's kind of, you know, there's five or six different stories uh, all through it that ultimately end up converging, you know. And so the way he's able to tie all that in to one uh, really impresses me. And what actually impresses me more than anything is that Lones, there's four books in the Lonesome Dove series. Lonesome Dove, in chronological order of the books, is the third book. So as far as the characters' lives go. But it was the first book that he wrote. And so it's interesting to me that he wrote that one, and then he wrote the sequel, and then came back and wrote the two prequels that... Uh, and has them all tied together so well uh they're all massive books so i've I've been reading one a year since i started going um the uh people say people kind of debate whether to read them in the order he wrote them or the order of the books uh or the order of the characters' lives, I'll say. And I'd probably say to read it in order of the characters' lives because I really, coming in, had a good foundation uh, with the characters and, you know, already kind of had a relationship with them from reading the first two. And so you just kind of felt more more clued in already to them and, and more connected to them. Uh, but it's a good book. The, the stories, The storyline is great. Uh, it's basically broke into three parts. Uh, the first part being uh, in Lonesome Dove, getting ready to go on a cattle drive. The second part being the cattle drive, and then the third part being kind of how it all winds down, which I won't give away too much of all that. But the book's 40 years old or something, so you know everybody probably knows already if you hadn't read it, but... Uh, it's worth reading. It took me, uh, I mean, it took me about a month and a half of half dedicated reading. I've hammered out uh, probably about 30% of it in the last week and a half, though. So it can be read fairly quick. Mm, that's about 850 pages or so. And then, you know, I think McMurtry writes real simply, uh, and if you read Stephen King's memoir, uh, Stephen King is a big McMurtry fan for that reason. And so it's it's uh, there's not a whole lot of excess detail, not a lot of fluff. Everything ultimately has a purpose, even if it maybe doesn't seem like it does at the time. Uh, there is some stuff that's funny and kind of hyperbolic, like there's a scene in the book where they're crossing the plains and they see a grizzly bear that's 200 yards off and it basically causes the herd to stampede and all the horses stampede and a cow gets in a fight with the bear and it's you know just kind of stuff that wouldn't happen but it throws a little action in there and it's fun to read so the bull yeah the texas the bull, old bull. <laughs> yeah, the old dog <laughs> So, uh, the book's got, uh, 
four point eight out of five star rating on Amazon. Uh, that's with twenty five hundred ratings. A couple of the uh, one star reviews were say just a very average read, nothing special. Uh, this thing from Zachary says this thing won a Pulitzer. So this most long-winded, rambling, undeveloped, 864 pages I have read. Uh, and says, why would you decide for hackneyed, hyper-masculine troops to become the narrative? I mean, that's, you know, story doesn't go anywhere. Very boring. <laughs> uh, depressing, overrated tribe. The book is very sad at parts. Uh but I think that's part of the, uh, I mean, that's part of it. It's part of the times, you know, the book is set in the 18, uh, I guess the late 1800s, probably post post civil war, you know, post kind of settling the Comanches down. So, uh, I would recommend reading it to anybody though. And just oh, yeah, enjoy sure. it, you know. It's not, so, you know, it's just kind of a good book. To, I kind of like that. It took a while, and frankly, I didn't want it to end. You know, I was kind of could have just kept reading and reading the story because I was so in tune with the characters. You feel like you're part of their life. So I recommend it. Set some time aside for it. Now, do I, you, so sorry, John. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Jared. I was just going to ask Barry, uh, so of the four, a lot of people don't think Lonesome Dove is the best one of the series. I personally think Comanche Moon might be the better of the two. What do you I think, think? That's tough for me. They're, they're pretty different books, really, at the end of the day. Uh, I I do think Comanche Moon is probably uh, if you're looking for more action packed stuff, I think Comanche Moon is probably the better option for you uh, of the four. I haven't read the last one, which is Streets of Laredo yet, so I can't say on that one, but I can't imagine there's a whole lot goes on on it. Yeah. But I don't know. No, but that, no, that, Comanche Moon is uh, it's tough. Lonesome Dove is is fantastic. Comanche Moon's fantastic. I just think the way Lonesome Dove was written uh, from the from the literary standpoint is the better book. But Comanche Moon may be the more entertaining read, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I I love I love that entire series, but. You know what's amazing? I read. I didn't read the interview. I watched it on uh, on YouTube. Uh, the reporter asked Larry McMurtry what he thought about Lonesome Dove. He said, "The last time I opened Lonesome Dove was when I typed the last word." Oh, really? <laughs> I looked at so it since then. Yeah, hasn't looked at it since then. Probably he, took he him a long time even, to write it. He doesn't even th- he doesn't think it's his best work. Really? Although it's his most pop- I guess last picture show might be his. The uh or last kind words saloon, which that book ties into the Lonesome Dove series as well. 
Uh, I didn't know at the time when I read it, but it does now that I've now that I've read Lonesome Dove. You know, they cross paths all on the, along the journey as well. Uh, oh, and something else I wanted to mention: a couple episodes we were talking about the national trail systems. And I said, well, there's the a Lonesome Dove Trail, apparently. And I said, it's probably based on the Goodnight Loving Trail. But I actually did a little more digging. And someone has actually gone in and, and mapped out the actual route that they took. Uh, and Jared, I sent you that the other day. It's pretty cool. Uh, and they have notes kind of along the way where certain things happen. So it's neat to go back uh, and look at that after reading the book. Kind of helps you make sense of it. So there's not an actual trail you can go walking, but somebody has actually put together the the route they took in the book. Someone with more time than me. So there's that, but I read it uh, half digital and half on paper, just about kind of depending on my mood and I've been beating a horse to death with this argument for my whole life, basically. But, you know, I can't really decide. I'm always going back and forth. It's hard to hard to beat the convenience of reading digital. But uh, one thing's nice with papers, having that, you know, to show show for your time and effort into it. And my Lonesome Dove book's got smoke damage and water damage. I mean, it looks like it's been to hell and back. So you kind of have the, you know, the journey with it too. Uh, I do think too, with some of these longer books, that doing both digital and physical um, really help with moving through it at a consistent pace. Absolutely. Just whatever's handy. Yeah. Waiting in your car or sitting yeah, on the exactly. toilet you can read it on your phone. I, uh, you know, and I feel more intimate with a, a real book, but I, like I said, it's hard to beat the convenience of digital. I actually finished Lonesome Dove yesterday while I was uh, sitting at a bar by myself having lunch, you know, and so I wouldn't have done that with a real book. I would have just sat there and scrolled through Instagram the whole time. But since I had the book on my phone, you know, I, I probably read 40 pages of it sitting there. Were you eating while you were at this bar? Yeah. Okay, good. I just want to make sure you weren't just drinking. No. <laughs> it's a restaurant that has a bar, so. Okay, so it's COVID safe. It's COVID approved. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, no, I had uh I had a five seven five pizzeria. Can't One of the better pizzerias shit. in the that I've ever been to. Yeah, it's it's probably number one for me. It's definitely top three, and the the vibe is very good too. Five seven five Amarillo, Texas. So, anyways, Larry McMurtry, go get you some all of it. They recently released a new edition with new covers uh, that are pretty cool. So if you want to go do it, now's the time. And so anyways, I say all that and something else I like to read about paper on paper is I've got a stamp that I stamp every book I finish with that says from the library of Barry Andrew Price, uh, <laughs> which I like, it's just, you know, it's a little, 
that's a little ego thing, but where'd you get that made at? Or, or I ordered it online. I'll go, nice. I'll go find it and say, you got to get you one here. John, you yeah, I ordered mine from Amazon. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Personalized and everything. Yeah. You just start kicking up. too. Yeah. Just order embosser, custom embosser. That'd be cool to have. Yeah, no, they're real cool. And mine's maybe two inches in d- diameter across. So. Yeah, that's about how big mine is. Maybe not quite that big. I mean, the thing that's cool to me, and this is, you know, ego again, but it's like in 40 years, you know, I've got five or 600 books stamped with that thing and kind of start diffusing them across the country. And, you know, who knows, maybe – Bourbon Bookshelf will be the new Joe Rogan podcast, and somebody will find a book. Like, holy shit, this is Barry Andrew Price's. Yeah, read this book. Oh, that'd be cool. Picked his nose and wiped his booger on it. Read it on the toilet. Jared, you said you were thinking about getting an iPad, but you're going to keep reading. Yes. Paper books, if you go that route. Yep. Yep. Specifically, uh, paperback. I just, th- we've talked about it a few times. They're just easier to read. Yeah. You can, I you can paperback better. You can manipulate I them. I like having hardbacks on the shelf, but I like having paperback in my hand. I'm I'm just uh, fraught with indecision in my life. If you can't tell, I'm not so opposed to trying it though. That's ultimately what John says. Like you just need to do whatever's going to keep you reading. And Kathy thinks I need to go see a shrink, so I quit worrying about all the small things in life. <laughs> What's that uh, called? Uh, a paralysis by analysis. Yeah. That's exactly right. I probably spent a whole day trying to figure out whether to read the digital or the paperback instead of just picking something up and reading it. So, anyways, uh, one other thing I wanted to discuss, since this is the Bourbon Bookshelf podcast, uh, for my birthday, a couple of friends of ours got me a bottle of Rebecca Creek which is a uh, Texas-based bourbon, which I've had before. And what I didn't notice till a couple weeks later is that the bourbon was actually a small-batch bourbon. It wasn't just the regular Rebecca Creek. And so when I got to thinking that I didn't really necessarily know what that meant, uh, and John, you may and may elaborate, but... I think to me what it means is it's, it was basically a limited run uh, and maybe the barrel barrel system is a little bit different, but I'm excited. I haven't tried it yet. It's still, it is getting to be a little more bourbon type weather. So I'll probably open it up here before too long. What is the number? Sorry. I don't have it handy. What a small batch would be versus just your general regular bottle is the number of barrels that go into it. So let's just take wild turkey, for example. 
they'll put, I don't know, let's just say a hundred barrels into one batch of your normal wild Turkey. And they're trying to get it to taste like every other bottle of wild Turkey that has ever been produced so that they're putting out a consistent product. So they'll take barrels from higher up in the, um, in the barn, or I can't think of what, what they call it and lower and then across the middle of it where there's not such a temperature extreme and try to just make it just as consistent as possible. Whereas your small batch is going to be, you're probably your barrels that are higher up in the barn that get really hot temperatures and really cold temperatures throughout the year so that more whiskey is moving in and out of the wood. So your, your taste will be different than your regular generic bottle of Rebecca Creek, if that makes sense. So they won't have as many blended together in an effort to make it as consistent as possible. It'll be the, um, the master distillers, uh, call and what this batch is going to taste like. So not every bottle of barrel of bourbon that is produced by the distiller is going to taste the same. They blend them together to make it consistent across. More consistent. Yeah. Huh. Well, there you go. The more you know. So I'm ready to try it. Yeah. We'll We'll have a thorough review of it on the podcast. Once I try it, maybe I'll have some, uh, on the next episode, maybe we won't do it at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Not that that's ever necessarily stopped me before. It wouldn't have today if I wasn't driving after this. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys got anything else? Uh, I have some good news. Let's I've been it. wanting to take the uh, the second two day class from the Whitewater Center, and I've been I was putting it off thinking, well, no one's going to sign up for it, and so I'll be able to pay for it on payday. It's $300. Went to go sign up, and everything had filled up. And this is, yeah. This is the last class of the year, too, so I don't know when they open back up, but it'd be in March probably at the earliest. Um, but I did email them and said, hey, I need to be put me on a wait list or whatever. Let me know if someone drops out. Two weeks later, they did call me and said they opened up a few more spots. So nice. I, I wonder if, because I've been checking it five, six times a day just to make sure that they didn't just open it back up and not tell me. I wonder if all those visits from uh, me showed that they had a lot of interest online and <laughs> they opened up a few more spots. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it very well could have. Yeah. If they're tracking their stuff right. I have a a theory on websites is since I've done some programming in Excel that nothing's perfect. So if something's not working for you, like you're trying to get into something or buy a ticket that's going quickly, try to break the website, refresh it, click on things, just click on random spots and see what is not perfect and try to break this thing. And it might let you do what you need to do. Really? Interesting. I'll have to try that. Maybe when I'm buying Southwest flights going forward. Since they jack the price up every time you click on anything somewhere. Yeah. I have started looking at uh, 
vacation stuff in private browsing. Oh, it's a good idea. Yeah. This, this private browsing things, this thing I discovered where uh, it doesn't keep cookies. And so it, it won't tell Southwest or whoever that you've been to the website. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Jared, any closing thoughts? Oh, no, sir. We're good today. Good. Oh, another thing, real quick. I finally bought my uh, whitewater kayak. It's a Piranha Machno, and I'm going to name it the SS Giardia. <laughs> there you go. I'm uh I'm brewing up an idea for a beaver fever t-shirt, so we'll we'll discuss that later. Be our first first piece of bourbon bookshelf merch. And then uh I want to make another shirt. Uh this will be my closing thought. There was recently a protest in Odessa over uh <laughs> some some things that happened. Uh, it's culturally sensitive, so I'm not going to go into too many details, but the protest was being streamed live on Facebook by a local news station, and Kathy sent me a screenshot of somebody on there that in the comments said, Vindo tamales, and then the next comment said, spicy, and so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that vendo tamales means i sell tamales and so <laughs> just the whole context of it was hilarious to me and i uh now also want to make a vendo tamales t-shirt so, <laughs> the picture you sent me is a guy yelling into a bullhorn to <laughs> you just see vendo tamales in the, <laughs> in the comments he uh old boy was trying to drum up some business some advertising <laughs> you got to respect I'd it. like yeah i'd like to think that he uh that he sold out of all of them but uh guess we'll never know thank you for listening to this episode of the bourbon bookshelf podcast we hope you've enjoyed it Until next time, you can support us by liking us on Instagram at bourbon underscore bookshelf and by subscribing to and reviewing the podcast. Talk to you soon.